Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano, standing in for Stephen Heiner. And on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, welcome to Francis Watch. Thank you. Uh, thanks. We're happy to be here, as usual. Yes, uh, good to share an episode with uh, Your Excellency and, and Father. This episode is free for the first 15 minutes to non-members to receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes. Please visit restorationradionetwork.org and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you would like to purchase an individual episode, navigate to the available episode of your choice and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you will be emailed a secure download link. Restoration Radio episodes are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. If you're listening to our content on those platforms, please be sure to leave us ratings and reviews. This will help those who are searching for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our content. You can find the links to these two syndicates on our homepage. On this episode, uh, Your Excellency and Father, we, we have a lot to cover. Uh, more Francis, otherwise known as what will it take for no sort of conservatives to realize that this man isn't a Roman Catholic. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been quite Take a, a month. month. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it seems as if it will. Uh, it, it's, it's been quite a month once again. I uh, took some time off, took two weeks off to have a little vacation, but uh, it seems that uh, Francis uh, never takes a vacation from saying or doing crazy things. So as usual, there's quite a bit of material even in August. So. Yeah, usually August for popes was a time where they were never heard from. They went to Castel Gandolfo and nothing happened, and and nothing happened in the Vatican. It was the Ferragosto in Italy, and where you know Italy shuts down essentially as a country, and and nothing ever came out of out of the Vatican in August. So this, you know, quite a surprise to see all of this activity uh, in August. So. Now, however, he's Argentinian. August is cold in Argentina. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't uh, even think he he takes a vacation in whatever the Argentine warm month would be. <laughs> 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 so we have to uh, we have to keep on bookmarking on the internet all the crazy things he says. So yes. here we are. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll, we begin with an article that appeared in the Atlantic, the ongoing theme of calculated humility. Um, and in this case, it's concerning luggage, specifically carry-ons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, well, well, now uh, remember, okay, the, this is this is part of his his image management, okay, and he um, from the beginning we said that he wants to give us the impression, give everyone the impression of how humble he is. So there are a number of there are a great number of gestures. He went to uh, pay his hotel bill after his election. He decided that he would ride on the bus with the cardinals uh, uh, after his election back to St. Martha. He's he's uh, uh, eating in the buffet line the, uh, at, at Santa Marta. It's like eating in country buffet. And <laughs> then uh, we saw. I I think it was on his his, his trip. Uh, to uh, uh, South America for the Youth Day, this image of him carrying a briefcase up the steps of uh, uh, the plane when he was going home. 
Now, of course, uh, this was spun by everyone. Oh, isn't this this wonderful to show how uh, how humble the guy is? But the Atlantic came out with the backstory, and the backstory is this: that uh, he uh, asked um, one of his assistants before boarding the plane, "Well, where's my briefcase?" And uh, the assistant said to him, well, it's been taken on the plane. So Francis said, but I want to carry it on. I want to carry it on. So uh, the assistant said, there's no need. It's on the plane already. And Francis says, you don't understand. Go on the plane, get the bag, and bring it back to me. So this was all done on the sly so he can have his photograph taken walking up the steps to the airplane, uh, carrying his uh, briefcase to show us how humble he is. <laughs> oh, showbiz and yeah, Hollywood uh, yeah. and 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 uh, images, uh, image management, and yeah. the interesting thing about the the Atlantic, which is a liberal and uh, basically secular magazine that has a lot of um, good reporting in it, is uh, the. Uh, author of the article said that uh, Francis's life story shows, quote, that humility is not an innate quality, it is, but a calculated religious and sometimes political choice. Sure. So this is, yep. Yeah, pretty What a damning right? statement. Yeah. <laughs> Very, yeah. Uh, I mean, from especially from that source. Yeah. Sure. Uh, because they've they've uh, they've praised him uh, praised him very highly, and um, the article was based on um, uh, interviews with people who knew him in Argentina and who thought that you know he was uh, basically a, a really great guy and was doing wonderful things. But there's this calculated uh, calculated part of him. So his his his. Um, uh, the things that he does apparently spontaneously are actually seem to be calculated and part of a program. Yes, and this week he went to, into uh, some uh, eyeglass store to get new eyeglasses. Uh, that was the <laughs> the latest calculated, uh, you know, photo op was instead of having them come to the Vatican, perhaps uh, yeah, he would go. You know, it's it's all show and. Novus Ordo Watch said that when he went to get the eyeglasses, of course, he made a spectacle of himself. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's an irresistible pun. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say that this is something that we've been we've been pointing out um, all along that uh, these these different uh, indications of uh, uh, humility are ways of communicating. Um, uh, things about himself and uh, about his program. Uh, it's essentially a form of pride. It's you know it's a it's a subtle form of pride, not very subtle either. Yep. Look at me, I'm I'm humble. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is the the new normal of the uh, the Novosoto papacy. They uh, they keep pushing. Yes, that's right. So. Now. Uh, Bergoglio was then found at St. Peter's on Friday, the 21st of August. Now, I had to look that up, what that was in the Novus Ordo, because um, in the Novus Ordo, that's the Feast of St. Pius X, 
when uh, yes. I recall we just we just celebrated that on the third of September. Yeah, he died on the twentieth of August. So, uh, but they moved around so many and suppressed so many saints in the Novus Ordo calendar that there was room for everybody. You know, and you could uh, get closer to his day of death. But August twentieth is Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, so I guess I don't know if it is in the Novus Ordo. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to figure out what they've been up to. But in any event, uh, so uh, he uh, went down, it seems, to um, St. Peter's Basilica, where a priest was celebrating the Novus Ordo at a, a side altar at a chapel dedicated to St. Pius X. And he assisted at this Mass that this priest offered, uh, and uh, also received communion at it, which is sort of odd, to mm-hmm. say the least. But I mean, he does an awful lot of odd things. He had celebrated his Novus Ordo earlier in the day, and th- there were a number of people in the uh, chapel. And uh, so he he assisted at this Mass, and he made a statement afterwards that, well, you know, um, he had. Um, uh, he had told the priest who celebrated the Mass that, well, I came to say a private prayer uh, because I celebrated Mass earlier today, but then I saw you coming to the altar and I decided to stay because I'm a devotee of St. Pius X. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, one... Maybe, maybe it's time to quote St. Pius X that the modernists thought that it should be beaten with fists. <laughs> that, that's a, that might be an appropriate time. <laughs> if Pius X could get up from that tomb that he's in, I dare say that uh, Mr. Bergoglio would would have a sort of a difficult time that day. Yeah, it's it, it is a statement uh, when he says he's a devotee of Pius X. That it's it's a statement that also makes you want to laugh out loud because if you've read the um, tenacity. Uh, that with which Pius X um, campaigned against modernism and his 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 resolution that he was not going to uh, allow uh, modernism to succeed in, in poisoning the faith of the church. Uh, it's it's an absurdity to say that he's a devotee of Pius X because the 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 program the things that as we pointed out here time and time again, of Bergoglio and his, his individual beliefs and statements uh, correspond to the modernist program. If anyone embodies what Pius X described as a modernist, it's Bergoglio, uh, mm-hmm. walking around on, on two legs. He's, he is the what is condemned in Pascendi. Uh, it's exactly what Pius X foresaw, the horror that he foresaw, that if, uh, if these people ever got control. And that's what we're living. We're living that nightmare right now. So, yes, it is an absurdity. However, the modernists like to isolate Pius X for the fact that he gave communion to the to the little kids and uh, that he uh, uh, is credited for the liturgical movement uh, as if, you know, he's responsible for the Novus Ordo Misae. Uh, they love to cite him for that. And, in fact, it has no basis in fact uh, and uh, that uh, you know, he did other pastoral things that nobody could argue. Yes, that's right. And he had a um, uh, he 
personally was was um, someone who is uh, uh, very detached. It was very humble himself, but you did not. He did not uh, exercise his so-called humility in front of the press. Uh, yes, I was talking about St. Pius X, that uh, he did a number of pastoral things that no one could argue with, and not even a modernist. And so they isolate these nice pastoral things that he did and call him a saint for that and, and completely ignore the fact that the main theme of his pontificate was the repression of modernism, if you if you read the history of it. Yes. The... Um what Bishop Sanborn mentioned is something that the modernists do uh, in public uh, when they speak of Pius X um, as, as a sort of a, a uh, public relations, a PR way of, um, uh, of uh, saying that what uh, his different pastoral initiatives were really part of the program that they're pushing. But in, in private, uh, they will tell you that they uh, detest him. And if you read the modernist theologians uh, of the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and so on, uh, you see in their writings that they have a contempt for uh, Pope St. Pius X precisely because he was such an enemy of, of modernism. You see that um, in in uh, the work of modernist writers, time and, and time again. And in fact, Your Excellency, wasn't it someone at the seminary, the the Huntington Seminary, Immaculate Conception, uh, one of the New York seminaries, who said to the seminarians that uh, Pius the was a rat who got in charge yes. of the ship? Yeah. Yes, they called him a rat. Yes, and that very quotation about uh, the modernists should be beaten with fists came from the depositions concerning his canonization, uh, that this was brought up against him by modernists who, quote-unquote, suffered under him. That how could anybody who said such a thing be a, a saint? See, so they, they came in one by one, all of these people who are now in old age, uh, who suffered, quote-unquote, under Pius X, like Roncalli, uh, uh, by the repressions of modernism and all of the work of the Sodalitium Pianum, which was a, essentially a spy network uh, whereby modernists were uh, uncovered. Uh, and uh, this is what enraged the uh, modernists and what we call the modernizers, that is, uh, especially a hierarchy, <clears throat> members of the hierarchy, who were not modernists themselves, not heretics, but who were soft on modernists, thought that they were just sort of intellectuals that are slightly misguided. And uh, they were enraged by the policies of Pius X. Uh, and I think the, the one great uh, thing that Pius Twelfth did was to canonize Pius X. Pius XII, I'm sure, knew exactly what he was doing, because he was alive at the time. Uh, he knew all of the, the reasons uh, for the hatred of Pius X, and uh, he uh, wanted him, I mean, shortly before his death, wanted Pius X to be held up to the whole world as a saint, which gave a tremendous impetus to everything that Pius X did, and especially to the repression of modernism. Yes, uh, there are a number of statements of Pius XII whereby he 
indicates in his, in his usual cryptic way, but you can see that he knows that a terrible storm is coming and he can, cannot do anything about it. There are various comments and statements, and, and I wouldn't be surprised, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of the ways in which he tried to do something about it, because he pushed that canonization through. Uh, you had to wait 50 years, bef- uh, according to the law, in order to canonize somebody, and he canonized him in the 50th year. No, in oh. the 40th year. No, 40th wow. year. So that means he pushed it through even faster. <clears throat> So, you know, Pius XII was no, uh, you know, he was a very intelligent man, and he certainly knew exactly what he was doing in doing that. So our uh, next topic, I think, uh, is the uh, Synod, and of course, that's been a continuing theme uh, on this show right from the beginning, that uh, the Synod on the family life that Bergoglio uh, announced virtually from uh, right after his election that he he was uh, going to call to address all of these different issues, and uh, on the show uh, today uh, there are two groups of articles that uh, we should talk about. Um, uh, first of all, one side concerns the pro-change. Uh, faction at work. Uh, in other words, uh, those modernists who are really pushing uh, uh, explicit changes in uh, the church teaching on uh, the matters concerning uh, matrimony and the Sixth and Ninth Commandment. And the second group of um, articles, uh, which we'll eventually get to, concerns the uh, opposition, some of the opposition that has arisen against this among Novus Order conservatives. So the, the uh, first thing that probably we want to discuss is Bergoglio's statement that the people who are divorced are not excommunicated. And he emphasizes over and over and over. And uh, my uh, analysis of this is that he is was sort of sending a message over uh, what is basically a non-issue. Uh, what do you think, Your Excellency? Uh, yes, it, 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 to marry outside of the church is obviously a public sin, and the yes. church attached excommunication to it as it can excommunicate in any case of public sin. That is, you're thrown out of the church for some great violation of Catholic morality. And so it has been always considered an excommunication. And, uh, and in fact, people shunned those who married outside the church, in Catholic Europe particularly, uh, as, as people who were outside of the church's communion. Uh, because it is a terrible thing. It is ripping at the very substance of society to marry outside the church and therefore invalidly. Uh, it is to engender illegitimate children and to, to ruin the, the very life of the family. Uh, divorce and remarriage, as we know, is something that, that is a, a whirlwind of trouble for the entire family, even the extended family. So all of these things are taken into account. But most of all, it is an offense against the law of God, which is uh, an offense against the sacrament of matrimony. So uh, he's saying, well, they're not excommunicated. I don't know if the new code uh, excommunicates them or not. 
but in any case, he's saying that they're not excommunicated. And, and, you know, this is just one more way in which he is paving the way for a some sort of uh, reconciliation and rehabilitation of people married outside the church, uh, an offense to the sacrament of matrimony. It's just another step, you know, and he's taken these steps, these gestures, these statements, one after another. Remember the phone call to the woman in Argentina that, that her, her she's okay with this man that she, she's been with her 20 years invalidly. That's all right, and the, the priest is wrong. I mean, this is a this is a whole program that he has, and it's just one more step in it. Uh, yes, you can and, see and, his his determination yeah. in this. There's, these are not uh, casual remarks. This is a determined course of action. Uh, yes, and uh, yes, indeed, it is, and it's this constant theme. It's, it keeps on coming up, keeps on recurring, and uh, always, whenever he opens his big mouth, uh, the, this is this is what comes out. Now, the uh, other point in in uh, connection with the um, uh, this this question of divorce and excommunication and so on, the type of excommunication though that one incurred in the under the the pre Vatican II legislation um, was. Uh, for marrying, say, before a non-Catholic minister, if you're a Catholic, was uh, not the sort of um, excommunication that um, prevented you from coming to church if you were divorced and remarried. Um, the, um, there was a special type of uh, excommunication that um, uh, had to um, be pronounced specifically by the Pope, uh, by the Vatican, uh, someone who um, incurred this type of excommunication, the, the service, uh, the religious service would have to stop uh, if they came in the church. But uh, people who married outside the church uh, uh, before Vatican II uh, did not, while they were excommunicated, and that prevented them from doing certain things, they did not, um, uh, it did not prevent them from coming to church. And, of course, many people in these situations did. And the the idea is that, you know, they would try to pray for the, the grace of conversion, I guess. But uh, the... Uh, so it seems, though, that Bergoglio is taking something which uh, was a, a non-issue in the old days. In other words, the, the idea is that you would pre- be prevented from coming to church. That was not the case. And and uh, many people did, and trying to um, uh, put up some sort of a uh, false opposition here to get, uh, allow his own program to go forward. Yeah, but did you see a comment a number of months ago? He was, it was uh, one of those off-the-cuff things, but he said, uh, you know, some people would like the, the divorce and remarry to come to church, but do nothing else. That means they can't uh, receive the sacraments and they're, mm. they're barred. And he was saying that in a very negative sense, that, you know, these, these horrible people who, who would like them just to come to church, but they can't do anything else. Yeah, uh, so, well, well. You know, he's, <laughs> you, you know exactly what side he's on in all of this stuff. I mean, yeah, he wants the, the sacraments for them and, and uh, you know, wants them 
to uh, be the sponsors of baptism and to, uh, you know... The head of the parish council. Yeah, head of the parish council <laughs> and, 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 you know, the all the other stuff. music. You know, yeah, the, uh, the choir <laughs> director and the, you know, yeah, everything. Deacons, maybe. Deacons, maybe, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, why not, you know? An unmarried deacon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I, I think he wants to integrate them entirely into the parish life of the Novosordites. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's so many of them. <laughs> I mean, Europe is loaded with divorced and remarried. And it's that same attempt to uh, keep things going by uh, loosening the rules. That Ever since Vatican II, that has been it, that we'll never appeal to to modern man if we don't in some way change. And that principle has some very, very disastrous effects. At the beginning, it was you know it was uh, changing the mass into English or something like that, or these these relatively minor reforms in comparison to what has happened since. Uh, but the uh, now it is you know as the modern world just just becomes crazier and crazier, uh, then the the Vatican II. Uh, Novus Ordites have to become crazy with it, and this is what's happening. It's really it's an open-ended insanity. Then there was a follow-up to this from the uh, Na- the National Catholic Reporter, a liberal critique that Francis leaves answers to questions ambiguous. Really? <laughs> You're kidding! <laughs> ambiguous? <laughs> well, I mean, that's one thing I uh, quote unquote admire him for is that he's not a Ransinger or a JP2. He says what he thinks. We know exactly what he thinks. He says it in plain language. This what, what ambiguity is there? <laughs> well, I think that the, um, the author of this particular article said uh, that he felt that. Uh, Francis was playing, you know, some sort of a uh, a game and was confusing the matter and talking around the issue and so on. But when I read the writings of, of um, someone like this, um, I see that uh, he really doesn't understand what Bergoglio's method is. Bergoglio's method is to um, hint at all of these different uh, uh, different possibilities, and since the conscience, the individual conscience is absolutely supreme in his system, to basically allow you to do what you want. Mm-hmm. If you add up all of the incidents and statements concerning divorce and remarriage and concerning homosexuals and other issues, if you add them up uh, on a piece of paper, just look at them one by one since he has been elected, his program is eminently clear. And his mind yes. is clear. Mm-hmm. Actions speak louder than words. And, well, uh, you know, yeah. the, the, the rainbow uh, watch band during the mm-hmm. latter part of June. I mean, the, these little incidents, uh, when you connect them, you know, holding hands with the homosexual activist priest as uh, going into the church. <laughs> yeah. You know, we forget these things. If you put them all on paper, one by one, uh, it's clear what he wants to accomplish. And he might just do it in October. Yes, yes. And uh, um, he does it via all of these symbolic uh, gestures and uh, these these, uh, different statements which you add up. Uh, But at the same time, 
he always maintains, and those who defend him maintain that, well, church doctrine isn't really being changed. It's just how we're applying it uh, that's being changed. But in fact, it is being changed because it's ignored in practice. Yes. Uh, So these liberals aren't going to be happy until he does, until Francis doesn't leave uh, the the conservatives any any way out. It sounds like he's the most liberal of the liberals. Yes. (laughs) Right. He makes everybody else look like Pius X in his liberalism. He he is a radical. I mean, he he, you know it's the so. Uh, and he has a following among the bishops, uh, certainly, and other radicals. But I don't think anyone is as radical as he is. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the conservatives really don't have a chance. He has appointed to this synod people who are definitely in his, uh, in his divorce and remarriage pocket and his, his homosexualist pocket. Uh, you know, he has stacked the, the deck and uh, the conservatives really have nothing to say. I, I think that you're going to see some very, very startling things at this uh, Senate. Next, we have uh, an article from the Huffington Post where Francis sends a blessing for an author of a gay children's book, The Spread of Genuine Human and Christian Values, he writes. Mm-hmm. Yes, isn't that nice? Um, yes, the the story goes that this uh, woman in uh, in Italy, where the homosexual movement is not very popular, uh, uh, wrote books for children explaining to them why they have two mommies or two daddies uh, for kindergarten age, and uh, th- they were banned in Venice. And you know, of course, she was shocked and appalled uh, that her you know book should be banned in Venice. So he, she sent them to to uh, Francis, and Francis responded with a very positive statement to her and blessed not only her, but her partner by name. So it was a blessing on her, whatever they do in Italy, civil unions, or I don't know what they do, but she's got some sort of partner. Uh, Again, another step. uh, Everybody knows what he thinks. Uh, How could you... I mean, this is the corruption of youth. Isn't that... I mean, didn't our Lord say something about <clears throat> corrupting children? What was it, a millstone? Wasn't that it? Something like that. Uh, something that was a millstone. You really put that practice into practice in Venice, I think. So. Uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the corruption of children with, with evil ideas, uh, you know, the, the, among the most evil you could think of, and and these are you know nice human values or spiritual human values or whatever he says. I mean it it, it is a, just an insult to the to the law of God. Just an insult. But again, we see where he's going and what his ideas are. Very clear. I mean, imagine yeah, the, if if you had sent that to Pius X, what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> think about sending such a, a series of books to Pius X. Just think about that. I wonder how that would affect your devotion toward him. (laughs) (laughs) He banned people from going to the art exhibition in Venice because it was too dirty. Huh? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That that was his approach to that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, uh, other thing 
that I wonder if anyone else caught or if it was just me, but this this uh, book is about a, a little egg uh, trying to find a family, okay, an unhatched egg. And uh, the egg, uh, quote, encounters different family structures, including two lesbian rabbits. I mean, who's <laughs> ever heard of lesbian rabbits raising a family? A pair of gay penguins, okay? <laughs> And a hippo who is a single parent. I mean, uh, the, has anyone ever heard of the natural law and kind of where it comes from? You know, the lesbian rabbits? Oh, that's funny. It, 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 it's so sick that it goes into the, the uh, area of, of, of ridiculous. It is like a parody uh, of, of, uh, of reasonable thought. Mm-hmm. Well, those are human and spiritual values, I think. I think you got yep. it wrong. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now on to uh, another off-the-cuff comment reported by Vatican Insider. Catholics who offer a counter-witness to Jesus. Pope Francis has strongly criticized Catholics who brag that they are perfect followers of the Church's teachings, but then criticize or speak ill of others in their faith communities saying they cause scandal and even offer a counter-witness to Jesus. These people very, are, claim to be very Catholic, uh, Your Excellency. So, well, I, I think I would be probably the number one suspect in that. Uh, the, uh, um, well, I mean, then that completely destroys Catholic dogma, because how can you adhere to Catholic dogma? And look favorably upon those who deny Catholic dogma. Let's look at the councils, see what they said about those who denied Catholic dogma. Were they a counter-witness, you know, by calling them anathema and, and, and excommunicating people and, and uh, you know, various other punishments they inflicted on people? Council of Constance burned John Huss. I guess that was a counter-witness. Uh, you know, well, this man doesn't believe uh, in any dogma at all. I mean, it's all an encounter with Jesus, so nothing matters anyway. So if you adhere to dogma, there's something wrong with you right out of the gate. See, you've got problems if you adhere to dogma, immutable dogmas. Uh, so, you know, he's only saying something that is completely in conformity and and consistent with that that his original problem, which is pure modernism, that that faith is a, an encounter with with Christ, you know, some sort of interior encounter. So you know, it's just a, another nail in his coffin, so to speak, as far as his Catholic faith. Father, should we have no expectation of being able to follow uh, what the Catholic uh, faith requires of us? Yeah, because this this um, taking any sort of uh, satisfaction in this seems to be uh, condemned here, you know, that observing rules or customs, etc., uh, as if those who do these things do not, uh, you know, strive to have a, a good spiritual lives and to uh, mortify themselves, especially from the vice of pride, etc. And those actions are based on uh, on a knowledge of the faith and an understanding of the faith. But the the uh, the basis for it, the the knowledge and the teaching that's the uh, basis for virtue, seems to be gone from the system. 
Yeah, he has always compared people who believe in dogma to Pharisees. That, that if you believe in dogma and the obedience to the commandments, you're a Pharisee. See, that means you're you're necessarily prideful because you believe in dogma and you believe in the necessity to adhere to the commandments. Correct, and and this is the, uh, is uh, dogma is merely ideology. It's not uh, important that it is uh, practice that counts. Practice is everything. Uh, Giving to the poor perfect. and and having an encounter with Jesus. That's about it for him. That, those are the two big dogmas. Now, the Salvation dogma Army without the band. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, the dogmatic theology is have an encounter with Jesus, then close the book. That's all seminarians have to learn. Moral theology is is uh, give to the poor, and who am I to judge? That would make it a lot easier for everybody. The exam would be easy, and we would have a, a seminary professors would have a much easier time. We just have one day of class, have an exam, and then go. Yeah, canon law. Who need canon law? <laughs> right. Yeah, who needs? Who need, oh, that's like Pharisee Incorporated. Oh, oh law. Yeah. That's right. Oh, you know, you've got to get rid of that. So I don't know what else. A liturgy, we could blow up balloons and things like that, and clown suits, and so that would be appropriate. There'd be a lot of room for a liturgy course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could just come down to Florida instead of teaching canon law and have champagne mimosas or something like that. So. Is morality all about context? These intrinsic evils, you know, they no longer exist. We've gone beyond that. This narrative theology to justify divorce and remarriage, contraception, homosexuality. Uh, this article in the uh, National Catholic Register this narrative theology based on lived experience and in the consequences of adopting it is the real news of the May 25th closed-door meeting in Rome. Yeah, that's another tiresome um, uh, event in this whole history of uh, what is situation morality. Uh, Moral theology is incomprehensible without ironclad principles. That's how you judge whether something is good or bad in comparison with the principle. And if you make the principles as ironclad as mush or jello, uh, which can be altered as we as we wish according to our lifestyle, well then you do away with moral theology and the moral teaching of the Catholic Church as well as the dogmatic teaching of the Catholic Church. And it should be pointed out that the very ideas that they are promoting here are themselves highest principles that cannot be denied. See, if you say that everything has to be judged in accordance with the way you live and your experience, etc., etc., that itself is the highest principle, the ironclad principle. And everything is, is judged in accordance with that ironclad principle. So they cannot escape... Uh, the highest principle. The human mind cannot escape ever the uh, highest principle in everything it thinks. That's how you judge right and wrong and true and false. There's always a highest principle. And so no matter how hard they try, the skeptic who uh, you know bangs on the, his fist on the table and says there's no such thing as an absolute truth. He himself is promulgating the absolute truth that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And these people are banging their fist on the table saying there's no such thing as a highest and immutable moral principle. (laughs) 
<laughs> so they bang and bang and bang. And anyone who denies this is a heretic. <laughs> you cannot avoid that. The human mind cannot avoid a highest immutable principle. One of, one of the things that uh, came up, um, Jason, when His uh, Excellency and I were talking um, a few days ago about uh, this particular material is they talk a, talk about a, a narrative-style theology, and the idea is that, well, you tell a story about your situation, and then you figure out what's right or wrong in terms of the story uh, that you tell. So this is the idea of the narrative theology. And you have to understand that this, this idea of a, a narrative is a part of um, cra- another form of, of crazy modern philosophy called postmodernism. Uh, they, they talk an awful lot about narrative and imposing different narratives. So that's where these uh, so-called theologians have gotten this idea. But um, when you um, boil it down, what uh, they are proposing uh, essentially is what we in the 60s and 70s, after Vatican II, um, knew as situation ethics. That, uh, uh, again, there, <laughs> the uh, immutable principle is established that there are no immutable principles really outside of uh, the situation. So uh, this is the same uh, same old post-Vatican II heresy that we saw dressed up in another type of language, uh, the, the idea of this, this theological narrative. It's interesting for me to see that it, it uh, keeps, on, keeps on coming up. Uh, in, uh, the, 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 the terms are different, but uh, essentially it's the same false principle. So, uh, and uh, it is uh, under the, the, the flag of this that the uh, people who are really on Bergoglio's side, who are pushing the uh, idea of, of uh, change of principles and, and practice with regard to divorce and remarriage, contraception, and homosexuality, that uh, uh, this, is this, this is the flag that they're flying, and it's essentially one for the same old uh, tired situation ethics. Uh, Father, when I was in the Nova Soto, I always heard this as, the phrase, uh, we are the sum of our experiences. So it's almost, you know, do whatever you want, because and, and <laughs> uh, that's just how, how your life works out. Uh, that yeah. denies essence. It denies this, the idea of essence. You are what God created you. You have an essence. You are not a rabbit or a dog. You are not the sum of experiences. Experiences are accidental to your essence. And, and, and a, a thousand accidents will not equal one essence. And it's it's that truth and that reality that is no longer taught, and in the practical order is rejected in the post-Vatican II Church. One of the writers um, who is a, a uh, great uh, defender of, of the Novus Ordo Missae, uh, uh, Father Peter Coughlin, not the uh, Detroit Father Coughlin, but Father Peter Coughlin, one of the um, priest who was responsible for the creation of the Novus Ordo Missae itself, uh, he uh, wrote a book defending the uh, uh, Novus Ordo Missae, 
and refuting some of the ideas in trying to refute some of the ideas in the Ottaviani intervention. And he said uh, very clearly that it's a difference, complete difference in um, uh, theology, that um, the people who object to the changes in the Mass and along with them uh, the uh, other changes that have come about uh, as a result of Vatican II are uh, ones who still have embraced this pre-Vatican II uh, essentialist uh, philosophy and theology. And the Vatican II rejected that, and now it's, it's the, the existentialist and the, the experiential theology that uh, we're talking about. And it's two different, two different worlds. So it's a striking statement, and uh, you know, a uh, and you see that you see that come up uh, here, and it's exactly what His, His Excellency described: the denial of essence. It is what it is. That's essentialist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld, right? <laughs> so, so this uh, Shadow Council. Father, this is in preparation for October. The, these meetings keep happening, these and uh, and the articles keep coming out. Uh, yes, indeed, and it's it's um, the, the idea is to build up momentum, uh, much as if you, if you've read uh, the the book on Vatican II, the Rhine flows into the Tiber. How uh, the uh, uh, modernist party tried to build up a, a momentum with a certain amount of uh, publicity. Now this is this is everywhere. The um, uh, there's an article in Rate discussing the um, German bishops, and one of the the German bishops had uh, a meeting uh, again discussing what was going to uh, go on, what was going to be promoted at uh, the synod with regard to uh, marriage and, and divorce and remarriage, etc. And uh, one of them uh, said that uh, there lies a great power in the Church's strong defense of the indissolubility of marriage. However, when the ideal does not have any connection anymore with life, it will be without effect. So the, the idea here is that uh, the indissolubility, the traditional teaching of the Church, indeed the teaching of our Lord himself, that the marriage is indissoluble, is merely an ideal, but we can't live up to it. I guess our stories have told us that we can't live up to it. So... We uh, are uh, permitted to do something else. Um, but then uh, another, uh, there's a uh, was a, another statement in the same article uh, that speaks about uh, regional exceptions, and uh, the idea there's this statement: uh, at the kernel of the marriage and the family, we cannot be in disagreement, deeply in disagreement. Okay, and this would mean that indissolubility is the ideal. However, when it comes to the assessment of other forms of life, there certainly could be regional differences. Mm. So they're, 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 uh, again, it's, it's on one hand, on the other, it's the typical Vatican II um, uh, uh, trick of hinting that you're uh, affirming the uh, traditional teaching somehow, but at the same time, practically speaking, uh, denying it. 
And then the same bishop saying that we need, uh, we need to overcome fixations upon the sexual element, as well as the reduction of sexuality to the sex act itself. When, of course, that is exactly what they're all fixated on. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, they should talk about not being fixated on that. Yeah, I mean... All they can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> what else do they talk about? What else do they think about? Sure. So I, mean, uh, I think it was at the last, uh, the pre-conference um, or whatever it is, the synod, that they got this old couple up or mature couple up, and they talked about I think their sex acts. It wasn't, wasn't there something like that. Yeah, it was, it was uh, you know something edifying like that. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're fixed on it. This bishop also warns uh, uh, concerning extramarital relationships and same-sex couples. Um, he warned against undifferentiated points of view, which would, quote, judge them schematically instead of also seeing their qualities and richness. Schematically means comparing their, their actions to the law. That, that's that's yes. a universal, immutable law. Yes, that that's schematic, which definitely is really bad. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Never yeah. do something like that, and uh, yeah, it's all all these code words. Uh, it's it's all a lot of garbage. Just saying we have to abandon indissolubility of marriage. Why don't they just come out and say it like that? Uh, but it's it's all of these things that uh, make the you know some people nod their heads. Oh yes, uh, it, it's it's just a coding for a, an awful. Uh, heretical abandonment of Catholic moral teaching and the gospel. Yes. Yes. So are they just trying to get rid of uh, Catholic guilt? Uh, it's they're, they're always concerned about continuity. You know, they they have to put some sort of sugar coating on this thing to make it look as though we're not really changing anything. That that has been Vatican II since the beginning. I remember it back in the 1960s. Nothing has changed. It's only change in form. And, and you know, we're not doing anything that's really altering the Catholic religion. Uh, it's, they say it's over and over again, and they have, have gone through change upon change. They have denied dogmas, and it's all under the, the hermeneutic of continuity and all of that garbage. And, uh, in fact, it's a whole new religion, and it's just getting more ugly now, that's all. It's it's getting into things that people are more sensitive about, namely divorce and remarriage or homosexuality. They're not too sensitive about ethereal dogmas. Uh, they, they, they may not even know enough to comment on them, but they, they know enough about this, <laughs> that you can marry somebody else after you're separated from your spouse or that, you know, you're... You can engage in in all sorts of unnatural activity. That that makes you know that shakes people up. So it has to be really sugar coated in some sort of uh, you know acceptable uh, language. Uh, we'd like to remind you that you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host Jason Guardiano, and I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. And today we've been discussing Francis managing his image, looking for human respect and the uh, pro-change faction in the Synod uh, that's coming this October. Uh, We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org.
the manifold ways and how people live together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On I can see why you would write it, or, or so, you know, does uh, do we have to put out a warning or something? <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you got lost in the outline. <laughs> <laughs> So the um so this was the proposal uh of the Archbishop of Hamburg, Stefan Hesse. Uh he called upon his church to have more realism with regard to the moral teaching on sexuality. Uh quote, we have to look upon the manifold ways and forms of living in which people live as they now exist, he said. Uh so uh, but um then speaking of homosexuals, when these people uh, seek to be close to us, then we as church are there for them. What else? The church has to cherish it when in homosexual relationships there to be found values such as fidelity and reliability. In my eyes, this does not minimize the love and fidelity between two people, he said. Uh, he also wishes for the remarried divorcees livable forms for the church's recognition and accompaniment without giving up the ideal of marriage. So here again is the theme that uh, you just talked about, Your Excellency, that they want to get a, uh, they want to say that there's some sort of continuity as far as the ideal. But I mean, obviously, in the practice, uh, this is utterly crazy and repugnant. Wasn't it uh, to the Landgrave of Hesse that uh, Luther said uh, you could have many wives? Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <So> maybe, <laughs> uh, Luther just had more <laughs> models of fidelity. <laughs> but speaking of Luther, Luther said it is impossible to obey the law of God, and God doesn't expect that we do. Oh, yeah. So the law of God becomes an ideal. You know, it's like, a, this is really be nice to have this, but God doesn't expect us to live up to it. It's impossible to keep it. That's a, a Lutheran idea. Well, you know, it is some sort of anniversary of the uh, Reformation, <laughs> isn't it? They're erecting a statue in Rome. Yeah, they're, and, and they uh, named a uh, uh, named a plaza, named a square in Rome after Luther, with no objections from the Vatican. Vatican. So after all these years, we end up with a. Uh, uh, Lutheranism, but it's Lutheranism with bad music. So <laughs> uh, that's part of the Novus Ordo. <laughs> yes. Um, so the the n- next point of interest uh, is that we need an African theology of marriage. Uh, now the idea here is is um, it is um, uh, this, this is perfectly consonant uh, with. The different principles that these these characters have uh, laid down about narrative and about story and uh, about adapting principles to uh, to different cultures. So uh, here we have a uh, bishop in Kenya. Uh, he said that traditional African marriages normally involve much more than the simple "yes, I do." that provides for consent between married couples and Christian marriages. In the past, he said, consent between couples was made, uh, even made over years, as the couples lived together with one another, and their families came to be gradually meshed together. Can we still speak today of a universal form of marriage where the only consent, yes, I do, coming from a Latin German culture, will be sufficient to sanction a marriage? 
And, of course, it doesn't take much to uh, figure out how he's going to answer that question. Yes, well, they tell their story, and uh, they you know, that's their experience. And uh, so, yeah, live together. And uh, it's it's just breeding like animals. Uh, it's it's to carry on like animals, the way animals do. And, and uh, uh, it is a destruction of the sacrament of matrimony, which is an image of Christ's love and fidelity to the Church and the Church's love and fidelity to Christ. And the uh, unicity of that relationship, that there is a single church, a single Christ, and there is a permanent fidelity. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's the sacrament of holy matrimony. Uh, and and uh, that's why it is indissoluble, because it is, and one of the reasons, because it also pertains to natural law, that it's indissoluble. But, but the sacramental reason for its indissolubility which is a higher reason, is that it is the image of the the union between Christ and his church. That's clear in Ephesians, in St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Yes, and that's, that's why it's so absurd that uh, Vatican II, remember, was supposed to give us more scriptural religion. Uh, <laughs> but certain parts of scripture uh, tended to have been left out. And the the principle that was formulated on Ephesians is one of the ones that went out the window. Now, uh, in the Synod, there is some pushback from conservatives. Uh, Mueller writes that the Synod must address family issue without reducing words of Jesus. Well, you know, it'd be like firing a cap gun at, at a at a tank. I mean, here all of this barrage of denial of the Catholic religion is coming at you, or even many tanks, and you're there firing cap gun, a cap gun at it. I mean, this is a, a crime. These things that are being said are criminal from the point of view of the Catholic Church, and all you get is, well, we have to, uh, you know, take in the, the words of Jesus, or we can't reduce the words of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Why doesn't he speak something that, that we can really listen to? I mean, it's such a vague statement. Those people would say, well, we are, uh, uh, you know, we're not reducing the word of Jesus. Look, uh, Jesus was charitable to the woman caught in adultery. Ergo, adultery is okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't recall any encounters of Jesus with uh, people living in sodomy, though, but I'm sure they could come up with something. You know, if you judge, you see, if you judge, uh, you, you know, you're worthy of uh, hellfire and all. Uh, you know, the, the whole judgment business. Yeah, it's it's, it's this this um, uh, this huge wave of um, uh, enthusiasm for a change, and all of these the, the cries for change coming from every um, every part of uh, every part of the press. And coming from the people in the pews who have been polled by at Bergoglio's request, so it is. It's it's um, like King Canute with the waves. You know, if you want to use the wave instead of the tank analogy, that uh, uh, you know Miller saying something is not going to make them go back, because the people who are promoting this program are determined to do something. The um, and Mueller himself is a modernist. It's not as if he's some Cardinal Ottaviani or anything. He's <laughs> just a more conservative modernist, and he's playing the the role that modernism assigns to authority, and that is to be a break, 
upon the the progress of theology. You know, somebody needs to apply the brake, and somebody needs to blow a whistle and say, "You may be going too fast." That's what it's in Pashendi. That's the purpose of authority. If he were on the other side, if he were still a bishop in Germany, he'd probably be agreeing with all of those German bishops. Sure. And that's how we've seen it go since the Second Vatican Council. The biggest failure at the Second Vatican Council was the fact that those who did have the Catholic faith did not oppose the council with excess, with, with sufficient strength and determination. They they caved in on this and that and this and that. Uh, the the modernists were so organized and so determined and so tenacious that that they just ran everything through. And the the so-called conservatives could do well chose to do nothing. And that was the time to stop it. Now it, it's just run amok. Who can stop it now? But the time that they should have stopped it was in the council. But this is the same thing. You know, you get these little you know, faint comments like that, and uh, there's no hope. I mean, I think they're going to run through in October something very, very shocking, uh, and you know, we'll see what happens as a result. But I, I you know, he's stacking the deck. He put in Supic, he put in that Belgian, a very pro-homosexual Belgian bishop, uh, and others who who agree with him. And he holds all the cards anyway. He can he can approve whatever he wants. Yeah, because remember that the Senate is, is um, according to the Novus Ordo legislation, uh, it's the, the, they say that the Pope is really the supreme legislator, and that their uh, the function of the Senate is basically consultative. But uh, so uh, Bergoglio ultimately can approve what he wants. Uh, the other pushback, uh, hierarchical pushback, as it well as it were, was a, a book um, published, another book uh, by 11 cardinals that basically argued against the change in the uh, marriage rules. And this was covered on uh, Rati, Chaley, etc., and uh, given quite a bit of publicity there. But uh, again, it's, uh, it's canoed in the waves. It's not going to stop uh, Bergoglio from doing uh, exactly what he's determined to do, which is to um, uh, introduce some sort of a change in the practical order to uh, allow, in effect, divorce and remarriage and, and other horrible things as well. I mean, do they say in that book, if you go ahead and make these changes, we are going to call a conclave? I mean, I, I, mean, I think we would have heard of it. <laughs> the, the 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 red line, you know. I mean, that's the only way to stop it. it, it you know, this is a it's like a train that is out of control. It's going downhill. It's totally out of control. And and the only way to stop it is is to put out that threat. And uh, you know that uh, <laughs> that might put a little bit of a chill in the Bergoglio's spine. Uh, but no, they won't do that. They'll just wring their hands more. I mean, these are career people. I mean, they're not going to give up any of that stuff. They, they've they've gotten to where they are by by being mush theologically and and going along with the crowd. All of these 
decades, and, and they're, they're not about to do anything that will. I'd be very surprised, let's put it that way. But the only thing that would do any good would be that, to repudiate Vatican II and, and to say that all of the problems in the Church are the effect of Vatican II, and, and this is just a, a symptom of the disease, and we'll go from there and, you know, do something positive. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to do that because they're career men and they don't think it. They don't, yeah. they don't think that they still uh, Vatican II is just fine, and uh, that it's the problem is the interpretation. That's what yes. you get from all of these people. And Bergoglio, uh, they're reacting to Bergoglio, but they're not yeah. reacting to Vatican II. They still think that that Ratzinger was was like the the god sent by you know, it, it just uh, that he was the most wonderful thing, and <laughs> he was, he's a flaming <laughs> modernist radical. Uh, Ratzinger, but because he wore the beautiful vestments then, and he permitted the traditional mass, well, then he's you know somebody great. It's really bad. I mean, the the condition of the human mind and and of the faith is really really bad. <laughs> that these these people can't figure it out, and then can't muster any kind of courage if they do figure it out. But Vatican II is the problem, not Bergoglio. Vatican II is the problem, and until Vatican II is annulled, there is no hope for anything but survival in the present situation. The um, uh, next interesting point along with the pushback is the uh, analysis of Roberto de Mattei. Uh, again, he writes on the uh, uh, conservative side, as it were. He took the... Um, Instrumentum of Laboris, which is the long and rather boring uh, document that uh, lays out the program of the Senate, and actually did a, um, a critique of it, which uh, again appeared uh, in Rorate Chaley, and he, he points out a number of uh, uh, problems with it, and some of, these, some of the same themes about the Senate that we've been talking about here. He said the uh, Instrumentum Laboris uh, introduces confusion over these uh, relationships um, as uh, with, in effect, introducing the idea of a relationship being partially illicit, which means, of course, that it could be somewhat licit. Uh, and he's, it doesn't speak of cohabitation, uh, as a bad or intrinsically illicit, but a lesser good than marriage, uh, of which they only lack fullness. Oh, fullness again! <laughs> it goes back to the same old thing as a plane with one engine and and you know one wheel. Yeah, that you might take to Europe. Yeah, <laughs> and it, because it has elements, it's something positive. It has elements, and it doesn't have elements at all. Uh, that, I mean, that's, uh, living together doesn't have any element of marriage in it because the very definition of marriage is a an indissoluble bond uh, that whereby you, you bind each other to live together and, and to you know give each other certain rights and so forth. Uh, so it, it has nothing positive about it. It's nothing at all. Uh, that any more than two people falling in love. It is in some way a marriage. I mean, if you had a completely chaste couple falling in love, I mean, sure, there's fidelity there and all of the other things, 
that is not a marriage. They can split up any time. There, there is no essence of marriage there. there. The very essence of marriage is this indissoluble contract. And the sacrament is this participation in, in this beautiful image of the, of the Christ's fidelity to the Church. So there's not, <laughs> two people living together and fornicating together has nothing of that. There's no element of anything sacred or right or good in that. It's, it's just... It's just animality, that's all. It's like cats in the in the alley. That's all it is. But they're trying to put this, this beauty on it. Uh, <laughs> participation in, in, the, in the sacred sacrament, you know. It's awful. It's just disgusting and awful. What what has always been considered to be promiscuity and dirt and filth now is being lifted up to be some sort of pre marriage uh you know sacrament it's it's just it, it is it makes you want to vomit it's so bad so that's hey, uh, Mary Magdalene you know she had really nothing to be ashamed of she should have come in and just said here i am you know and i'm living a <laughs> relationship <laughs> with positive elements yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the same as the woman caught in adultery. I'm living in a relationship with positive elements, you know. And, yeah. Or the Samaritan yeah. woman, you know. Uh, the, <laughs> all of those examples, you know, what seven husbands or something, and, and only uh, five. Don't, don't. Only five. Oh, sorry about that. I never was good on numbers. <laughs> um, uh, but Dimite points out that that the the way the instrument of divorce portrays the situation of uh, the people um, who have contracted illicitly a second marriage, uh, he portrays, he said the instrument of divorce portrays it as irreversible. But, um, uh, you know, in, in fact, uh, it's never irreversible because one can choose not to sin if you live as brother and sister in that state. But yeah. that's what people won't go for. Right. Well, at least he says that. But again, you know, it seems like these people uh, are incapable of, of seeing with two eyes what's going on. Yes. Yeah. Well, he does make the interesting point that he, he said that um, uh, does point back to this uh, theology of personalism that we heard about so much about after Vatican II uh, as um, the uh, sort of system, or I guess the non-system, that uh, permits, uh, that encourages ideas like this. And, of course, Vatican II was shot with that, as was the teaching of Paul VI and um, uh, John Paul II. So now we move on to our section on Francis as a classic modernist. A conservative priest in the Remnant newspaper analyzes Francis's July homily on the miracle of loaves and fishes. So this is a a favorite one of the uh, miracle of sharing. Is it? Is it, uh, Your Excellency? Yes. Again, it's a destruction of the truth of the gospel. Uh, I believe he said that uh, essentially there was a, a some sort of feeling or electrical uh, impulse or something that went through the crowd, which. Uh, um, encouraged them to share with others what they had. So that means the there was no miracle. <laughs> and secondly, uh, there's no electricity. I mean, obviously, 
uh, if you could say, you might say that it was uh, uh, some sort of inspiration by the Holy Ghost to to share food, uh, but uh, that's no miracle. To uh, that, that's simply, uh, you know, that, that's just a good act. Secondly, it denies the the gospel narrative because they hadn't eaten for three days. Now, if they all had these big baskets of food, the you know, wouldn't they eat after? I don't think our Lord was preaching during the night. I doubt it. So wouldn't they have had something to eat? It seems as though they came without expecting to that he would speak in, in so many days and that they would be so attracted by him that they would stay through. I mean, that, that's the, the obvious context of that, that they didn't come prepared to, to really listen to him for that long, but they were so enthralled by what he was saying that they went to three days without eating. Uh, so you know, again, it 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 doesn't make any sense according to the gospel. What is said in the gospel, and and it is obviously recounted as a miracle. It's not merely that these people were very generous with their food and so forth, giving each other ham sandwiches. Well, maybe not ham, but uh, you know, some other kind of sandwich, and and everyone was happy. And and you know, uh, you know, it, it's a a denial of the holy gospel. It's an insult to Christ. Uh, it's uh, and it, it is an absurdity that that, that uh, it is a reduction to social gospel. You know that we should therefore uh, you know, share what we have, and and it's a, you know international socialism, and and uh, which you know is a constant theme of Bergoglio. Uh, I said recently in in, a, in my newsletter that. More and more, I'm convinced that he's an atheist, a Marxist atheist, uh, and his one idea is uh, socialism and the uh, and Marxism. Uh, it comes out so often in him, and he he really has no. There's nothing supernatural in him. There's never a statement that he makes that you would say this is a supernatural. This shows supernatural faith. This is not a single thing that I have ever seen that that he has said or done which manifests supernatural faith. Everything is tainted with this socialism or uh, you know or some other complaint against people who love dogma and uh, and now you know changing the this miracle into something absurd and 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 denying the gospel. Uh you know I don't think there's any faith in him at all. I'm inclined to say that there's nothing. Okay, he's a, the, the, the priest who wrote the article um, analyzed um, Bergoglio's discourse at, at some length, but the title of the, org, of, the, of the article was very interesting. Does Pope Francis really believe the Gospels? And the answer to that seems to be no, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no. And... Um, uh, and you know, again, the the remnant is an R and R. It's like the R and R Gazette, the uh, yeah. recognize and resist Gazette. And uh, again, the, you know, the very question is appalling. Does he believe in the Gospels? The the answer is is clear that he doesn't. And then nothing happens. Yes, it's like pushing on the the button of an elevator and nothing happens. <laughs> you know, I mean, all everything's there. You're expecting something to happen and nothing happens. And, and uh, you know, to publish an article like that and and then you know draw no conclusion, it just 
it accuses the 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 Gazette of of absurdity. Yes, because disbelief has uh, has no consequences. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for for anyone, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, that, uh, except, uh, you know, it's 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 stuff that you can write about and complain about and do videos about, but uh, it it uh, uh, really in the supernatural order doesn't do anything. The lack mm-hmm. of uh, uh, the lack of faith, the rejection of uh, uh, of the gospels. Yes. <clears throat> so the the, the uh, author ends his article by saying, "So we are left to wonder what other miracles of Jesus Bergoglio or Francis may uh, think require the same treatment." Well, probably all of them, right? <laughs> it would seem. I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. alter that into uh, essentially a picnic. Uh, the uh, then what else is left? Tomorrow is the uh, feast of the, the the gospel of the raising of the widow, the son of the widow of name. Uh, who knows what he would make of that? Yeah. Uh. Now on to ecumenical developments. As um, Father Chicada mentioned earlier, there's going to be a new square named in Rome on the uh, on the Oppian Hill, uh, a park area that overlooks the Colosseum. Uh, and uh, yeah, yes. yes, this is this Martin is our Luther. friend, our the Martin Luther Square, and uh, there appears to be no problem with this, uh, as far as the Vatican goes. And I mean that is not uh, that's not surprising because they signed an agreement, the infamous agreement many years ago, uh, under J.P. Toon with Ratzinger, um, with Ratzinger's approval on uh, the. Uh, a joint declaration with the Lutherans, so there seems to be no problem whatsoever uh, to have a, a square named for him in uh, in Rome, and uh, you know that's it's um, th- that's something that in uh, you know the late 1950s would have been inconceivable and would have caused uh, absolute outrage, uh, not only a part of the Vatican, but of the Catholics throughout the world. But now, after 50 years of Vatican II, it's just business as usual. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was the erection of the chapel, of the chapel, of the statue of Giordano Bruno in Rome under uh, uh, Leo XIII, which uh, absolutely enraged the Vatican. He, he was a a very radical heretic that was burned by Clement VIII, uh, I think in 1600, in the, in the uh, Piazza dei Fiori, uh, the, the place of the flowers, where they sell flowers in Rome. And they erected a statue to him in that very place in defiance of the Vatican. Now, uh, Giordano Bruno is small potatoes in comparison with Martin Luther. Uh, but I think that the modernists see Luther as a precursor of modernism, that that things had to change in the church, and well, he was a little excessive and went too far. That's you know, <laughs> they say about the French Revolution and all. But the the uh, you know the basic uh, ideas were there and they were good. And uh, now we're following through on what he wanted to see happen in the church. As a matter of fact, I think Luther would be appalled at at, at a lot of what the modernists say and do. Uh, well, yeah, because I mean, at least he accepted the historicity of Scripture. Yes, I mean, he, uh, uh, he or Calvin probably would have burned anyone at the stake who said that there is no miracle involved in the multiplication of loaves and fishes. 
Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you, know, you, you can be sure that Calvin wouldn't have put a statue up to the guy so, uh, uh, you know, in, in Geneva or allowed a square to be named after him. So, so they, they, they have gone beyond, uh, the modernists have gone beyond um, uh, the, the wildest imaginings, I suppose, of, of Luther when it came to the question of the change of, uh, change of religion. You know, I wonder if they'll put up a statue of Leo the Tenth in Wittenberg, sort of as a, as a. Uh, he was the one that excommunicated Luther in 1521. I think that might. I, I sometimes I, I think we're not going to hold our breath on that one. <laughs> so, but didn't the uh, bull begin something like a wild boar has invaded the yes. vineyard of the Lord? Yeah. Exorge yeah. Domine, yes. Rise yeah. up on the board, yes. <laughs> well, he, he was excessive, too, but, you know, it was a time of excess, and people were, you know, a little over over overdone, you know. And uh, they, uh, uh, you know, so, but we we understand better now. We understand better, and thanks, Your Excellency, for your narration and your story and for sharing that with us. And, and that may be a truth for you, but it's not necessarily a truth for us, and right. um, everything's blurry and life is just fine. So, right. so next, uh, Nova Soto Bishop Schneider on the SSPX. Reconciliation should be based on ecumenical openness. Everyone else is accepted who's not Catholic. Why not the uh, the SSPX as well? <laughs> that is anal- analogical to the homosexual flag. Uh, I, uh, you know, not that they're, uh, but the homosexual flag is a flag of diversity. It's the mm-hmm. many colors, and the idea is that we want diversity. And therefore, he's saying that SSPX will be reconciled on the basis of diversity, which, you know, is an interesting comparison. Uh, and uh, it's a flag of diversity. Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 um, uh, ends up being sort of the same level that you have an African concept of marriage, and uh, that is one thing, and we should accept that. And uh, uh, you have uh, different relationships meaning different things in different cultures, and so that is permissible. And it's the the big tent approach, as it were, to the notion of the church that they can all be um, uh, part of the same part of the same organization because what you believe doesn't make any difference. And you know if that's. If SSPX accepts that, that's absolutely shameful. Shameful. Uh, if they accept to do such a thing, but it would be logical because they are recognizing the modernist hierarchy as the Catholic hierarchy. So they are essentially saying, in doing that, that the the Catholic the the modernist hierarchy is Roman Catholic. That that they do not object to any of the doctrines. Uh, intrinsically, as contrary to faith, that the modernist hierarchy is promulgating. So for as long as that name is in the canon, uh, the name of Francis is in the canon, you're saying that man is a Catholic, and not only is he a Catholic, he's the head of the Catholic Church, and he does not err in matters of faith. And that uh, everything that Vatican II has taught is in accordance with the faith. So 
you know, so they are logically bound to to enter into the modernist tent, but at the same time, it's it's shameful in the sense that everyone knows that down deep, the, you know, the purpose of their their foundation was to resist the modernists. But that that ambiguity and that that contradiction goes back to Archbishop Lefebvre himself, who you know, gave uh, various signals and contradictory signals to to his followers, uh, which, you know, the zigzagging, and, you know, they are they are outside the church, they are antichrist and so forth, but at the same time we want to be with them. It all goes back to him. Uh, and we're just seeing the, uh, as I said a number of years ago, the, the logical chickens coming home to roost in this. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to know that somebody is dying. It's another thing when they die. There is a shock and, and a, a sting when someone dies, even if they have been lingering for many months. And the same thing will be true when we see this, that the, the what we might say the positive work of Archbishop Lefebvre in resisting the modernists, uh, if we can just isolate that, uh, will just all go up in smoke when when this happens. The uh, uh, comments of, of this uh, Monsignor Schneider um, were uh, very, very interesting, not only from the point of view of ecumenism, but uh, from the point of view of what he looked uh, at in Pius X's society as positive uh, indications that um, they should be part of the post-conciliar church. So he says, well, they have the photo of Francis in uh, the entrance area, and, uh, you know, they they put his name in the canon, and they say the traditional chant for the Pope during benediction, and they accept the validity of the um, the modern sacraments, um, even though they don't use them themselves, they recognize the uh, legitimacy of the Pope and the um, diocesan bishops, uh, etc. So it is the uh, precisely the points that we objected to as uh, in our conflict with the Society of Saint Pius X as as being um, uh, a, a surrender to uh, the post-Vatican II Church, to the modernist, uh, 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 and to the modernists who infest it. Uh, but I these think the one the... thing you left out, Father Chikata, is that they offer incense to the gods. Uh, yeah, the, that grain of incense, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean they, they do all the things that, that, that by analogy, the Roman uh, authorities would have been pleased about if the Christians had done the same things. In other words, the, there's an analogy between all of the things that you mentioned and the offering of incense to the gods, to the Roman gods, to please the authorities. See, they recognize the emperor, they recognize he's a god, they, they recognize the gods of Rome, and, uh, you know, they'll offer a chicken or something to a deity. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, that they have done everything to please the modernist authorities. So now they should be uh, rewarded with, with uh, recognition and and various other things. So, uh, the, um, you know, it's very, very analogous. And then the idea is that they will be left alone to do whatever they do for a while. And um, as the, the Romans would leave 
those alone who recognized the authority of the Roman state and who recognized the emperor as a god and who wanted to keep their own gods as well as part of it. So that was the, the Roman ecumenism, their, their big tent, uh, their uh, um, diversity program in the early days. Yes. Now along the same theme, the big news this week was Francis grants SSPX priest faculties to absolve in the year of mercy. So starting uh, well, that was December 8th. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's very... <laughs> First of all, the SSBX has been hearing confessions since the beginning and couldn't care less whether they had faculties from the modernist authorities or not. I mean, this is nothing for them. This is just, well, that's you know, a nice token. But they, they had no care of faculties, even though they regarded the, the, the modernists as the pope and as the bishop, local bishop, who had the faculty, the, the sole faculty, the ability to give faculties uh but that did not enter into their into their theology they had the right to the right to do whatever they pleased in defiance of the pope and the the local bishop uh that that's the theology of, of the society of St. Pius X but it is interesting this is obviously a, a, the beginning of a spoon feeding of uh, a big reconciliation a big uh, amalgamation of the SSPX to the Novus Ordo Spoon-feeding from both points of view, uh, Francis spoon-feeding the bishops. So he's going to make it licit to go to the SSPX for confession. Now, you know, there's there's a short step to going to there for Mass, too, licitly. And and secondly, I mean, to give someone the power of the keys uh, is a big step. And, uh, and then also it's spoon-feeding the perhaps little somewhat reticent members of the SSPX. That well, you know, we're we're giving this token of reconciliation, and uh, it, it is clearly they are, in my mind, clearly on the path to to some a big amalgamation. Uh, I think it's already done, and it's just a question of putting it through now. Yes, it, it, it's um, uh, it's the Rome is sending out the signals, and by going along with the program, Fillet, uh, Bishop Fillet is is sending out his own signals as well uh, by saying how much, oh, we appreciate this, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, the uh, uh, idea is to get the members of the laity used to the idea that this sort of recognition and incorporation is an important thing. And there's, someone mentioned to me, well, do you think at the end of the year of mercy, that uh, Bergoglio is going to say, okay, uh, uh, December 9th, uh, 2016, they don't have faculties anymore. At of course midnight. he's not. Yeah, midnight. <laughs> yeah, Ro- Roma, or Roman noon, as the conservatives <laughs> like to say. So, uh, so high noon. If you were the last one in the confession line <laughs> and the clock struck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What would you do, right? <laughs> but, of course, they don't worry about such things. So... <laughs> You know, as long as you tell your story, uh, you know, I guess you're good. Uh, but this this is not going to go away. The, the, the Vatican is not going to say that, well, we're going to uh, withdraw this. And then uh, um, one wonders during the so-called year of mercy what other uh, interesting uh, little bonbons will be uh, uh, thrown to the uh, Pius X Society. 
you know, the, 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 to um, move this this uh, process along to uh, lure the skeptics in the organization, priests and members of the laity, uh, along to the uh, Church of of Diversity. Now, there was a comment by Mueller maybe a year ago that Bishop Fellay said the problem was in his own organization that there was you know the path was open with regard to Rome. Mm-hmm. but that there was a problem within his own organization. And I'm, I, this is just a speculation. I don't know anything. But I'm wondering if the spoon-feeding approach uh, is going to bring about a uh, you know a gradual acceptance among the members of the SSPX, both the priests and the laypeople. I remember they did that with, uh, of course, Father Jakarta. Uh, with the changes in the 1960s, it was just a little bit every week, a little, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit more, a little bit more. And uh, until you were you were uh, you know accepting of it, uh, I wasn't, but others may have. <laughs> you know, so it's a, it was a, an old trick. Uh, the idea of SSPX coming in one grand day and and being reconciled uh, just might be too much for everybody to bear. Not only their own followers, but also some of those bishops who I'm sure are not really happy about it. Yeah. So it's it's uh, you know. Uh, the use of uh, gradualism, uh, trying to get just as, as uh, Bergoglio tries to um, uh, bring about his his uh, changes through this step and that step and publicity and hints and everything. Uh, so too the uh, uh, internal politics of the Pius X Society to get people to go along. Because if you're a priest in the organization and you um, uh, hear that well we've got this this uh, you know bon bon number one is this this uh, uh, validity of absolution something else comes down the line and you're suspicious of the idea there's going to be pressure on you to go along with it because the message is going to be well you know Bishop Fillet knows what he's doing and he's got all these positive signs from our beloved Holy Father that uh, everything's going to be alright we'll be free to do what we want and um the uh, you know to criticize Vatican II etc. So uh, don't worry about it because of all these these positive signs that we've been shown. So that's uh, I think clearly what's happening. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, the uh, Mueller, the Cardinal Mueller, uh, did indicate in an interview that the. Uh, so-called doctrinal uh, discussions with the Pius X Society were continuing, were ongoing. So, uh, and that was he not that long ago. Did a breakthrough, though? Remember that about a month ago? He said there did was he? a yes, and he said there was a breakthrough. Uh, it was about a month ago. I saw it. Huh. Okay. Yeah, that's why I think it's all on track now. It's it's ready to go. Yeah, because you know the the uh, it's a lot easier. Um, to do this with uh, uh, Bergoglio, who is not particularly interested in keeping up appearances, you know, he um, uh, whereas Ratzinger was, he was interested in keeping up, uh, keeping up appearances and getting, um, you know, it's seemingly something out of them with regard to his his little devil baby Vatican II to say that well, uh, you know, it was uh, not that bad a baby and maybe pretty cute after all. Uh, but he, he he obviously he couldn't he couldn't get anything like that from them. But uh, if, uh, Bergoglio just doesn't care. You know, I mean, his his doctrinal motto could be the the 
same as the name of my blog, Quidley, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> that it, it, uh, <laughs> the, the, the doctrinal issues simply don't uh, issue, uh, interest them. So whatever uh, uh, Bishop Fillet and company uh, care to say about Vatican II in their uh, agreement, their diversity agreement, is, you know, whatever. And if they care to criticize Vatican II uh, after they're reunited to us, well, it's all just part of the mix, and we love diversity. You know, they can do that, and the Africans can do their marriage in stages, and everyone's going to be happy. I like the the reconciled um, people in the Diocese of Campos. I mean, they have just you stop. You have stopped hearing about them or anything of them. I mean, they have become a, essentially a non-entity. A Campos Brazil. Oh yeah, Bishop, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they're, they're just gone. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think that will be the. Uh, this will just be another high church in in the in the Vatican uh, Vatican II religion, and uh, just one one other form of it, and uh, that'll be that. Yeah, the um, uh, you know if you take the example of the Peter fraternity, when um, uh, if ultimately, and we will probably get into this again when, uh, if as we suspect the reconciliation with Pius comes along, when uh, there were uh, difficulties and issues in the St. Peter fraternity. Uh, and the Vatican didn't like how things were being resolved. They removed the superior general, Father Visek, and in effect appointed someone else. And so one can see that that is something that you know could happen very easily in uh, the Pius X society, because once you're part of the institution, you can be... Um, uh, you certainly can be removed because if you recognize the guy as the Pope, the canon law says he has the uh, has the right to remove you. And one can see something like that happening, and at the same time, uh, a uh, sort of a delicate um, uh, uh, dance on the part of the members of the Society of Saint Pius X, who. Um, uh, will be very careful about saying things so uh, uh, their superior, Bishop Fillet, doesn't get what we would refer to as the phone call from the cardinal. <laughs> In other words, saying, um, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Father de la Fromage Grand is uh, making quite a big of, a bit of trouble with his statements in Kalamazoo. And Bishop Fillet, we really think it would be good at this point, considering all we've done for you, uh, to, you know, send him to Pago Pago. <laughs> And urge him to be more discreet. So what will happen is uh, one can see as a part of the institution, uh, it will be a, uh, uh, they will end up being neutralized. Mm -hmm. Yes, and their hope is that they're going to convert the modernists, which is an absurd hope. Uh, And really, they they offer the modernists nothing. Uh, if you say Vatican II is acceptable and the modernist hierarchy is acceptable, you are giving the stamp of approval to Vatican II and its, and its doctrines. The, the thing that must be said to the modernist hierarchy, if any of them is, uh, any one of them is capable of a, of a conversion, is that Vatican II must be dumped, and, and that uh, the whole cause of the trouble in, in the Church is Vatican II, and, and uh, that uh, these, these modernists are not Catholics and they, they have to be expelled. 
that's the only thing that's going to 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 address it you know convincing them about some theory the sspx theory about vatican II, it's not going to solve anything and their their interpretations of vatican II are absurd anyway you know that religious the document of religious liberty simply means that that you shouldn't hold a, a gun to someone's head in order to convert them that was <laughs> the explanation of SSPX to to absolve the document on religious liberty. Wonderful. And and of course that that is in accordance with the teaching of the church, but that's not what the document says. <laughs> well, Your Excellency, you know what light to read the documents of Vatican II in. Yes. <laughs> well, you have to read them with an ecologically correct bulb, I think. Uh, <laughs> Which gets us into the next thing, which is the the day of prayer for creation. Um, ah. So, so uh, this section is is headed genuflections to various leftist deities, and we always have uh, uh, have a number of these. So, uh, <laughs> you need a pantheon, you know, the size of a, of a football field. Yeah, your wood, your your knees would get sore. Uh, <laughs> Which is maybe why Bergoglio doesn't genuflect, but that's another issue. <laughs> so there's the day of prayer for creation, uh, which is coming up. Um, I'm not sure exactly when, though. It was a little, um, a little bit obscure. But the idea, September, uh, September 1st, it says here. September. Oh, and I missed it. You know. Oh. Was, uh, terrible. I was. I, I think I was on a plane on September 1st, harming the ozone layer. <laughs> So uh, we have to, so uh, Bergoglio says that as Christians, we wish to offer our contribution towards overcoming the ecological crisis which humanity is living through. Therefore, first of all, we must draw from our rich spiritual heritage the reasons which feed our passion for the care of creation. Uh, always uh, remembering that for believers in Jesus Christ, the Word of God who became man for us, the life of the Spirit is not disassociated from the body or from nature or... Uh, worldly realities. Christians are called to, quote, an ecological conversion, whereby the effects of their encounter with Jesus, uh, there's his, his modernist notion of, of faith again, become evident in their relationship to the world around them. Thus, living our vocation to be protectors of God's handiwork is an essential to a life of virtue. It is not an optional or a secondary aspect of Christian experience. <laughs> So it's really high up there on the list of dogmas, huh? I think so. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I think you could say that. So there are some dogmas, but the whole it's parody again. It's it's a worldly value that's um, uh, the the and a worldly uh, dogma that is. Uh, uh, elevated to the level of some sort of great Christian truth, vocation from God, you know, essential to the life of virtue, not a secondary aspect. So it's like a primary aspect of our Christian experience. I mean, does it that come up? serves the goal of Marxism and world Marxism, and that is that we all live on this planet, we all are, you know, sharing its goods, and we all have to have a consciousness of sharing. See, and therefore, rich countries have to. And he's he's said this, you know, give to poor countries, and the poor are, are really hurting the most because of the 
the, uh, the the all of these gases and all of the climate change and all of the things that everybody's doing that is, are so horrible, and <laughs> and uh, that the uh, that it's it's a it's a vehicle of Marxism the, the whole climate change thing that it puts us all in the same boat and we're all equals in it. You see, so the the person who uh, makes a lot of money is an equal to somebody who is is very poor even through his own fault. See, and somebody who's very responsible isn't equal to someone who is very irresponsible. Uh, it, we're all just ants in the same anthill, uh, and we all have to, uh, you know, participate accordingly. But also that you know they don't have any any supernatural thing to adhere to, so they make it's a religion substitute. You know that, that we have to get excited about something. We have to get excited about something beyond us. And so the climate, you know, wow, it's really, you know, it's like a you know, world thing. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it is improving uh, human life, which is for them, you know, it's all, it's all worldly and, and Marxist, the idea of a better world, making a better world through socialism and, and, and distribution of the wealth and, and all sorts of controls. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's all behind it. Bergoglio's taking up uh, the uh, idea of uh, something, this this program that, of course, is very popular on the left, uh, and the one worldism, uh, you know that that uh, you know I wish the world could live in perfect harmony. I think that was the old Coke commercial, and uh, that um, we have to do something about um, uh, global warming or climate change or whatever it's 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 called. But again, it's 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 a substitute. It's part of a substitute uh, religion. The idea of of um, uh, one world and the city of man. Uh, of course, being supreme, and uh, that is what he is pushing with this. And it's praying in unity with the Orthodox. Uh, yes, indeed, that's uh, uh, that's part of it. That they are part of the program, and again, it's this uh, uh, diversity that they would like the Pius Ten Society to uh, be a part of as well. I'm sorry, listeners, but we're out of time. On this episode, we have covered news on the upcoming Synod, Ecumenical Mania, Francis and the SSPX. And I want to thank His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada for their time and being with us on this episode. We will talk to them again next month as we continue this series. God bless. If you have any questions for Bishop Donald Sanborn or Father Anthony Chicada or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at FrancisWatch at TrueRestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to His Excellency and Father, and we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us are strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Jason Guardiano. May God bless you.